Good morning. I'm Joe Collins, and I want to wish all the moms in the audience a very happy Mother's Day. I hope you have a great day today. As many of you know, we are in the middle of a series entitled Losing My Religion. Today we're going to be doing part two of that series. But before we get started, I wanted to tell you that I have a uh, I found out recently from my teenage son that coming out uh, in 2016, there's going to be another uh, Batman movie made. Now, isn't that just what the world needs, another uh, Batman movie? Yes, I'm very excited about this. Uh, but, uh, you know, in all seriousness, I do like uh, the Batman movies. They are a lot of fun. Uh, and I'm told uh, that the star of the new Batman series is going to be Ben Affleck. And I don't know if that's going to be good or bad, but in honor of the new Batman movie and the series that's, that's coming out, I thought it'd be fun to play a little Batman trivia before we get started. And so the very first question I have for you, and I, well, the answers will, will appear on the screen. I've got uh, the, the, the pictures uh, of the actors' faces that will appear on the screen above me. Um, but the, the question I want to ask you, the very first question in our trivia game is, before uh, Ben Affleck stars in the next Batman series movie and, uh, that comes out in 2016. Who was the, the most recent Batman? Who played Batman before him? That's right, this guy, Christian Bale. Now we're just going to keep going along this line. And before Christian Bale, who played Batman? Who, was the, the, who played Batman next? That's right, George Clooney. And before George Clooney, who, was the, who played Batman in the movies before him? You guys are good. That's Val Kilmer. That's right. And then before Val Kilmer, who was the who played Batman before him in the movies? That's right. There's this picture right there on the screen above. Michael Keaton. That's exactly right. Now we're going to get a little trickier. <clears throat> before Michael Keaton, who played Batman? That's right. Adam West. But here we go. Now we're going to get into the hardest uh, next couple of questions. Before Adam West, who starred as Batman. Well, it was this guy. You say, who's this guy? Well, his name was Robert Lowry. And the last trivia question, which I, I don't know that uh, you guys are going to get because this is a really obscure one, but before Robert Lowry, who was the very first person to play Batman all the way back in 1943? No guesses? Well, it was this guy, Lewis G. Wilson. You know, of all the People that played Batman, I got to tell you, my personal favorite uh, was Christian Bale, hands down. I think he was the best. But you may have your own uh, favorites, and, and that's fine. But, but for me, he was my favorite. I'm going to get back to this in a minute. We're going to come back to Batman at the end of the message. But before we do that, uh, I do want to jump into our, our series now, our, our, our teaching now. And we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. So let's, let's read the Bible. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Our series, Losing My Religion, is taken from the Sermon on the Mount. 
Specifically, we're focused on the, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, a, a section of, of the sermon that's called the Beatitudes. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is the most famous sermon ever preached. Jesus taught it during the early part of his ministry when he spent most of his time in Galilee, which is in northern Israel today. And he zigzagged from town to village where he taught and he healed. And as a result, he became quite well known among people in Israel. And as a result, large crowds would come to hear him speak and, and maybe even see him perform a miracle, maybe even perform a miracle on them. At one point, he was up near the Sea of Galilee on a mountainside, and there was such a large crowd, there were probably several thousand, that he went up on a hillside where the crowd could, could gather around and could hear him, and there he taught the Sermon on the Mount. Now, it was Jesus' uh, uh, method to, to, to gather these large crowds and then teach to the large crowds, so, because out of those large crowds, he called people to become his followers. And, and the people that accepted that call were called disciples, which means student or learner, and they became followers. They became students of the method and the message of Jesus Christ. Now, when Jesus taught, uh, he often taught uh, in, in, a, in a logical order. In other words, he went from, pract uh, from, from principle to practice, from general to specific, and the Sermon on the Mount is no different. The Beatitudes are the principles. They're the generalities. The rest of the sermon are the examples or the practicals based on the principles. In the Beatitudes, Jesus identifies eight specific characteristics of what he expects out of his followers. And in our series, Losing My Religion, we are going to be focusing on each characteristic one at a time. Last week, we talked about blessed, uh, uh, we talked about uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. And this week, we're going to be talking about blessed are those who mourn. Now, before we get into our actual study of the text, it's important for me to make a, a couple of uh, observations. There's a couple of points I want to communicate to you now because they're, they're very important in our overall study of the sermon, and I'm going to repeat these each week as part of our series. The first thing I want to uh, establish is that the Beatitudes are meant for all followers. If anyone would, made the decision to come out of the crowd and to follow Jesus, then Jesus expected that person to, uh, to, uh, to uh, rise to a certain level of commitment. And that level of commitment was the same for all followers. It didn't matter if you were a rich person or a poor person, an important person or a not important person. Jesus had the same standard for everyone. He called everyone to the same level of commitment. Number two, all of the followers were meant to manifest all of the Beatitudes. In other words, you couldn't pick and choose which Beatitude you wanted to obey. Jesus expects his followers to manifest all of them because the Beatitudes are meant to be taken as a whole, a complete whole. And so you couldn't say, well, I'm good at being a peacemaker, but I'm not so good at mourning. No, that's not what Jesus expects from his followers. He wants them to manifest all of the Beatitudes. The next thing that I want to point out is that no one is born with these. These are not personality traits. These are spiritual qualities, and they only come as a result of following Jesus. You cannot create these in and of yourself. You cannot, you cannot make these come about, these, these characteristics. They only come as a result of your following of Jesus Christ. And so no one is born with them. Next, I want to point out 
that the Beatitudes really separate followers from non-followers. I mean, if you, if, if you want to tell the difference between a real follower of Jesus Christ or someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it's, it's real simple. You need to look no further than, are they manifesting the Beatitudes in their life? And then lastly, the Beatitudes are spiritual in nature. They're of another world. Christians or followers of Jesus. They live with one foot in the world and one foot in the spiritual world. And so uh, these are not qualities that are going to be um, naturally found in, on planet Earth in general. They're not, they're not what we as people in our own nature would, would pursue or be because they are from another world. They're a spiritual world. So let's go ahead and study out our, first, our, our next beatitude. We'll focus on the scripture. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to be together. We thank you for this opportunity to study your word and help us to uh, get the most out of it, to really uh, embrace what the Beatitudes are to each and every one of us and, and how we can manifest them in our lives. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let's go ahead and look at our text for today. Blessed are those who mourn. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Now, doesn't that sound ridiculous? I mean, when you really think about it, Jesus is, he's asking, he, he's saying happy, the word blessed means happy, happy are those who mourn. I mean, how can that be? It's like a contradiction in terms, but, but more than that, who likes to mourn? I don't know anybody that wants to go around in mourning. In fact, the entire world does everything in its power not to mourn. I mean, when you think about how much money is spent on entertainment alone, either the watching of or the investing in, it's, it's astronomical because people avoid grief. They avoid mourning at all costs. It's just not something that we naturally want to do. It's not within us. Luke 6, verse 21, is a parallel passage. In Luke's rendering of Jesus' teaching, he actually says, blessed are you who weep now. I mean, it's even more emphatic, right? It, it's even more intense. The question you've got to ask yourself is, does Jesus want his followers to walk around weepy and crying, or sad and crying. Well, I, I don't think so. You know, last week when we studied the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, we understood that that beatitude was not meant to be taken in a literal, material sense. In other words, Jesus wasn't advocating poverty. It wasn't about being poor in terms of earthly wealth, but, but he was talking about being poor in spirit. It was a spiritual concept. And I think the same is true today, that, that those who mourn is not meant to be taken literal, like in, in the sense that people should be crying and sad, or his followers should be miserable people, but rather it's meant to be taken in a spiritual sense. But the reality is that ever since Jesus taught this beatitude, his followers have had a hard time with it. They've had a hard time understanding it. I mean, church history is riddled. With, with, with people who have swung between two extremes. On the one hand, they've walked around miserable because they've been, they've been excessively mourning. In other words, they've, they, they've viewed Christianity or following Jesus Christ as, as, okay, anything that's fun and good is sin and so we can't do it. And so they walk around miserable, guilted out over all the things that they want to do or, or wish they could do or, or, or were doing. But, but thought they were sin, and so they were just miserable. Versus the opposite, which is a, a, a superficiality that comes from avoidance of mourning. In other words, 
uh, you know, you get to a point to where you, you feel bad about what you're doing and, and, and you get so, you feel so bad that at some point you just start to ignore it. You act like it's not there and you just become very shallow, very superficial. And, and, and the reason for these swings, the reason for this, this, this swaying between these two extremes is, 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 is simple. It's a failure to understand what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are those who mourn. Now, before I go on, I, I want to talk about, well, what is it not? Let's talk, what, what, is, what, is he, what is mourning not? And I'm doing this because I want to build some tension. I want, I want to keep you, your breath baited. I want you to be, uh, uh, you know, so eager to hear what I've got to say next that, that uh, um, you know, you're just going to jump out of your seat. And so, so before we get into the actual study of what mourning is, let's talk about what it's not. Well, it's not the result of death or loss. Now, the word used is interesting. The, 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 um, Matthew was written in Greek, and the, the Greek word here is the word for mourning that is related to the loss of a loved one. In other words, it, the word itself does mean that the physical grieving that occurs when at the death or lo- of, of someone, a loved one, or, or at the loss of something very, very important. Of all the nine different Greek words that are associated with grief, this is the strongest form of the word. But that's not exactly, how, but that in context is not how Jesus meant the word to be taken. He's just using the word because it was the strongest word available to him. The second thing that mourning in spirit is not, is that it's not a negative emotional state. Jesus doesn't want us, he doesn't, he's not calling his followers to walk around depressed or be melancholy. It's not, a, it's not a negative emotional state. It's also not the absence of any positive emotions. Jesus doesn't want us to have that mentality that everything fun is sin, therefore we can't do it. So what does it mean to be mourning in spirit? What does to mourn in spirit mean? Well, I can think of no better example than the prophet Isaiah. Turn with me over to Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 5, and if you don't have your Bible, you can look on the screen above. The text is there. In the fifth year, King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And the threshold shook, is the Lord Almighty, and the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voice, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The year is about 750 B.C. This is... Uh, 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 several generations before Jesus Christ. And it was a time in the nation of Israel of great uncertainty. Their king, King Uzziah, had just died. Now, Uzziah wasn't a perfect king, but he was a good king. And Isaiah was a prophet who served under King Uzziah. In fact, he served several different kings in Israel. And King Uzziah had died. And during this time, it was Isaiah was on his way to the temple to worship because it was, it was con- there was concern. What would the next king be like? Who would replace him? And what would he be like? And what would happen? And as Isaiah was walking towards the temple to worship God, he saw a vision of God. And this vision is incredible when you think about the vision. 
he sees God seated above the temple. And I want you to notice his position. He's above the temple, which is above the earth. In other words, God is almighty. He's king of, of earth and of the heavens. <clears throat> of the heavens. And he's so amazing, and he's so awesome that there were angels around him, and all the angels could, be, could say was, holy, holy, holy. And, and, and this God's, the, the, the image of God was so great that his, his robe flowed down and filled up the temple. I mean, this was, a, was an amazing, awe-inspiring, powerful vision that Isaiah had on his way to the temple to worship during this time of uncertainty. And his first reaction, he cries out, he says, Woe to me! That was a statement of mourning. It's a, it's a statement of grief. In other words, he, he said, oh no, I'm dead. I mean, he was, he was literally dumb, you know, in mourning over, over this awe-inspiring sight that he saw. But he also says, I am ruined. And that's interesting, because uh, the, the phrase I am ruined could, could, in our words, might be better rendered as I'm, I'm dumbfounded, or, or I'm, 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 I'm such an idiot. And why? Why was he, why was he grieving? Why was he suddenly... Uh, so self-conscious and, and dumbfounded of, uh, over himself and feels so bad about himself. Well, because he said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I'm a people and I live among a people of unclean lips. In other words, Isaiah, at this vision of God, suddenly, all at once, felt this incredible grief, this incredible mourning come over him and, and realized the stupidity of his behavior and of his words and of the stupidity of the behavior and the words of everybody he knew. Because in this moment, Isaiah got in touch with his own sinfulness and the sinfulness of everyone else around him. And so to mourn in spirit, the best way to describe it is to recognize the foolishness of your sin. Yours, mine, and everyone else's. You know, we, we talked last week about being poor in spirit at the first beatitude, and it was a call for emptiness. And it came first for a reason, because we had to be emptied first before we can be filled up. Remember, it's like a pizza box. The box itself is not worth much. We as human beings, of all the billions of people that ever, ever lived on planet Earth and that are alive today, any one person is not really worth all that much compared to any other person. We're like a pizza box. What makes us valuable is what's in us. And Jesus wants to put in us the Beatitudes. And so the first Beatitude, being poor in spirit, is about being empty like a, like a pizza box waiting to, be, to have a pizza put in it. And, and the second Beatitude, blessed are those who, who mourn, is, is Jesus wanting to fill that box, those empty followers, with sobriety. In other words, a a consciousness, an awareness of, of the stupidity of sin. I want you to think about what the Apostle Paul wrote some 800 years later. Romans chapter 6, verse 20. When you were slaves of sin, you were free from the control of righteous. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you now are ashamed of? Those things result in death. You see, sin is not only stupid, it's deadly. And Paul, as a follower of Jesus Christ, who embraced the Beatitudes, who was one who manifested them, he really understood what it meant to mourn in spirit. He understood 
that it meant to be aware of the stupidity of sin, the foolishness of sin. He wasn't advocating a, a miserable self-loathing or, and he wasn't advocating a superficial, shallow avoidance of grief. Rather, Paul was calling us to sobriety and that's exactly what Jesus called. Not sobriety in terms of alcohol, but sobriety in terms of sin. And that's exactly what Jesus called blessed. Remember the word blessed means happy, but it also means fortunate. Actually, the best way to think of the word blessed is ideal. That was the ideal place to be. The ideal place for a follower of Jesus Christ to be is to be empty and is to be conscious of our sin, the stupidity of our sin, or of your sin. Is this your approach to life? Or, or do you find yourself like I found myself many times, swinging between grief and, 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 and uh, self-loathing over, over feeling bad and being guilt-ridden over things I know that I shouldn't have done until that kind of piled up to where I couldn't take it and then I'd swing over to uh, a superficiality and shallowness just kind of trying to ignore it and put it behind me because I had a hard time understanding the balance. I had a hard time putting, I had a hard time making the balance between the two and finding the sobriety that Jesus wants me to have. Well, if, if, if you, like me, find yourself kind of struggling with this, I want to offer you a starting point. And you have your connection cards on your seat and there's, on the connection card, there's a couple of lines where you can write some notes. And, and I just want you to write these, a few sentences here. This is, this is all you're going to write down for the whole sermon. But I want you to write down, uh, what did I do today? Then I want you to write down, what did I say today? I'll give you a minute. And then I want you to write down, what did I think today? And then lastly, and here's the important one, how does God feel about it? So, so the idea of what did I do today, it could also be understood as what didn't I do today. In other words, there are some things that we should do that we know we should do, and if we don't do it, it's, it we're sinning, we're blowing it. Or what did I do today in, in the context of what, what did I do that I shouldn't have done, right? Or what did, I, what did I say today that I shouldn't have said? Or what didn't I say that I should have said? Or, or what did I think today that I shouldn't have thought? Or what did I think today, or what didn't I think today that I should have thought, right? The idea is, is to, 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 to ask yourself these questions every day this week beginning with today all the way to next Sunday, just one week. This isn't a, a command. This is just a practical. This is one way to express the principle. This is, a, this is an expression of the principle, blessed are those who mourn. And the idea is for us to become conscious of our sin. You may have another way to do it, and that's totally fine. And I'd encourage you to come up with your own way. But if you don't have a way, here's a suggestion, is to ask yourself these questions and then ask, how does God feel about it? And I think in doing this, and if you practice this each day, it's, it's a good starting point to getting in touch with, with the foolishness and the stupidity of your sin. I want you to imagine for a minute driving down the road, and, and you know, you're a good driver. You've been driving for a while. In fact, you've been driving since before cell phones. So, so you're a good driver. And because you've driven long before cell phones and long before it became illegal to drive while on the cell phone or texting or whatever, from time to time, you do that. You indulge yourself. You'll drive and you'll send a text from time to time. But it's been okay because you're a good driver and you've never had an issue. 
But imagine one day that you're driving and you want to send a quick text and you're texting and while you look away in that split second, you hit someone. Think about it for a minute. Think about what you would immediately feel at that moment. You would immediately say, woe is me. I'm ruined for I'm an idiot. I was texting while driving. That's kind of what Isaiah felt like, but, but multiply it by a thousand times because Isaiah saw God and, and, and became aware of all of his sin in that moment. That's what we're talking about here. That's what blessed is he who mourns or blessed are those who mourn. That's the, that's the concept that, wow, we suddenly become aware of our, the stupidity and the foolishness of our sin, of our behavior. And that's where Jesus wants you and I to be. And so that's the practical I want you to try out this week. So just to help us become conscious of these things. You know, there's more to this beatitude than, than a blessing. There's also a promise. He says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. How can those mourn who are mourning also be comforted? You know, Luke in his parallel passage says, Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. I mean, it seems like a paradox, doesn't it? I mean, how can you weep and laugh at the same time? How can you mourn and be comforted at the same time? Well, let's go back to Isaiah. We're going to read the next verse, in verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So Isaiah is on his way to the temple during this difficult time. And on the way, he sees this incredible vision of God and he's immediately awestruck. He's immediately dumbfounded. He's immediately struck with the stupidity of his sin and all the sin of everybody around him. And he realized that he's, woe to him, he's ruined, he's undone. I and mean, he's, he's grieving heavily here over, over uh, uh, as a result of this vision. And God orders one of the angels to take to take a, a coal out of the altar that was in the vision and fly to Isaiah and touch his lips. And, and in doing so, he forgave Isaiah of his sin. He, he removed his guilt and he atoned for his sin. See, Isaiah was sobered. He was sobered by this vision of God. He, he, he gained a sobriety over who he really was, the sinfulness of, of, of his own life, of, of, his, of himself. And then God brought the forgiveness, the atonement. And I want you to notice the order. You see, there's a tearing down before a building up. There's a conviction that came before conversion. There's a condemnation that came before salvation. There's a mourning that comes before comfort. You know, in my life, for many years, I had only two options. I struggled between, I labored between feeling bad and guilty and miserable and then to the other extreme of getting tired of feeling that way and just being superficial and avoiding contemplating my behavior. What I couldn't get was that atonement. What I couldn't find was that forgiveness 
And so I couldn't find the comfort that Jesus talks about. And I really wanted it. I really wanted it. But it took a long time before I got humble, before I broke. And it took many years in my adult life before I got to the point to where I was really dumbfounded and in and, 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 and mourning over my sin. And it was, it was then, after several years of going between misery and avoidance and finally just becoming completely broken and in mourning over, over the state of affairs I felt myself to be in, it was then when I finally came to church. And it was, it was there when I walked into church that I finally made a decision to become a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. And it was then that I was comforted. You know, there's a lot of people out there. You may be one of them right now. There's a lot of people living in Simi Valley who are, who are just like uh, me, switching between misery and superficiality. They don't know how to find comfort. They're unhappy and they're going between shallow and grieving and, and, and self-loathing, shallowness and, and self-loathing because they can't find comfort. And the comfort is right here inside the church. It's right inside these doors. And if you're a, a member of the church here in Simi Valley, I want to challenge you. I want to beg you. I want to ask you to invite those people in. It's their only hope. It's the only way they're going to find comfort. We've got to bring them in to the church because it's here that they're going to hear the words of comfort. Now, it's not just the coming to church. It's not just the listening to the words, but it's the, it's the decision to become a follower that's going to ultimately bring the comfort. And that's what happened to me. What about you? What about you sitting here today? Maybe, maybe you're not a member of the church. Maybe you're here visiting. How long is it going to take for you to just... How many cycles of misery and avoidance are you going to go through before you finally turn yourself in and find the comfort? You know, the choice is yours. The thing that's neat here, though, that I've learned is that God's comfort doesn't just end here. It's not just a one-time thing. Nor is the mourning over sin. You see, the longer I live my Christian life, the more grieved over sin I am, the more sensitive to the sin I am. But the amazing thing is, is the, if I continue to follow Jesus Christ, the more comfort I feel. One follows the other, like night follows the day. And so, blessed are those who mourn, really, it, it, for, for, for they will be comforted, really is both a blessing and a promise. And the world is desperately unaware of it and desperately needs it. And I want to ask you to join me in helping them find it. You know, at the beginning of the message today, I talked about Batman and we talked a little Batman trivia. And, and I got to tell you, my, my personal favorite Batman of all time, hands down, Christian Bale. Yep, hands down, he's the best. I know there's... There's sort of a sympathetic side of me that likes Adam West just because as a kid that's who Batman was for several decades before Christian Bale or anyone else came on the scene. But I got to tell you, I like Christian Bale because, because he was the most real. He seemed to come off the most genuine to me because playing Batman's difficult. You got to be sort of two characters in the same movie. And I just thought Christian Bale did the best. He was the most real. And you know, that's what God wants you and I to be. He wants us to be real. He doesn't want us to be miserable and he doesn't want us to be superficial, but he wants us to have a sobriety, an awareness of our sin. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Let's stand and we'll sing our final song.